guess what today is? Today is Wednesday, and we are back for another segment of Face It With The Father. Uh, I am Minister Kevin D. Jones Sr. I serve graciously, thankfully, humbly as the minister of the Pembroke Park Church Christ. I am here with my brother from another mother, the producer of Face It With The Father, Larry Bernard Jr., and it is a pleasure to connect with you. Face It With The Father is where we encounter the Word of God through a study and devotion with hopes of using the Word of God to guide our lives through practical uh, means of existence. Today, we are facing complaining with the Father. Let's go. Happy Wednesday. Uh, today, as stated, we are facing complaining with the Father. Um, make no mistake about it, we are in the midst of challenging times. I don't know if you've ever been in challenging times before. Uh, my life has kind of put me in challenging times, like many of you, in a number of occasions. I'm talking about things like death, uh, uh, moments of struggle, poverty, just a host of things that create challenges. I remember uh, when I was uh, in the military, we were deployed. There was something about being deployed that already brought you down. It already made it quite heavy. But one of the things that would really, really just make things harder is if you're in a difficult situation and you're in the midst of a difficult situation with someone that is complaining, somebody that everything is wrong and nothing is right and life is so tough and oh, woe is me. And, and while, while I know it comes from a sincere place, I believe that there is a refocus that we ought to have with complaining as it pertains to our life as guided by our Heavenly Father. When I'm talking about complaining today, I want you to understand that complaining has its place. Make no mistake about it. There are times when a voice must be raised about problems, but we want to understand from the vantage point of how God has called us to live our lives, where is its place and where is it not? To gather that, uh, today I want you to meet me in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to take flight beginning at verse number 12, uh, and we're going to continue all the way to verse number 16. Verse number 12 all the way to verse number 16. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Verse 14, I love it. Do all things without complaining and disputing. 
that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Verse 16 says, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored, the Bible says, in uh, vain. Uh, considering the point that we are observing from the Apostle Paul, Paul is walking us through a renewed focus on not just our Christian walk, not just our Christian existence, but to consider this thing, our Christian walk and our Christian existence from the vantage point of how it is manifested in relation to complaining. To appreciate it, what we have to do is you have to understand that early on, Paul sets the context. The context is necessary because the context gathered is what keeps us in the right frame of mind concerning what he's trying to teach us concerning complaining. To get that, I want you to look at verse number 12. Verse number 12 says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's goal here, if you allow verse number 12 to help us, verse number 12 will establish the righteous parameters in which we are going to view complaining today. There are two things I want you to notice at verse number 12. The first thing I want you to notice is the word therefore. And after the word therefore, the next thing I want you to notice is as you have always obeyed. You see the word therefore, as the late great Dr. Jack Evans used to say when we were at Southwestern, he would say therefore is therefore a reason. It establishes a connection with the following thought as it relates to the previous thought. So when he says therefore, he's giving us therefore is as a way of saying in light of what I just shared with you, I'm about to give this to you. Or because of what I just told you, I'm now going to tell you this therefore is to attach what he said previous to what he's saying now now to get what he said previous you'd have to go to verse number five because verse number five in Philippians chapter 2 helps us to see the guiding point of complaining verse number five in Philippians chapter 2 it says let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross, therefore also has God, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on, on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess the, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my brethren, 
appreciate the point in verses five and onward he begins to give us an example and the example is Jesus Christ and the example that we see in Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ manifested obedience and he was committed to obedience all the way until death now you've got to consider what we know about Christ's death especially when we consider uh, the prophecy that Isaiah gave us where he says he was led as a lamb uh, to slaughter as a sheep silent before his shears. The point is, is that Christ endured such a great measure of challenge at the command of the Lord and he did so without mumbling a contrary word in light of it. Paul says, therefore, therefore, that is considering what we know about Christ, he then adds, as you have always obeyed. When he says obeyed there, it is to obey or to be obedient toward. What he's suggesting is, Therefore, considering what we know about Christ, as you have always done the right thing. That is, I want you to consider in your life the commitment you've made to righteousness. Pay close attention because verse 12 is going to establish the parameters for what we know about complaining. He's suggesting to us that this idea of our call into righteousness comes from two places. One, the first established example from Christ. And two, a commitment to living a life of Christ no matter what. He then goes on further to say, he then says in verse number 12, work out, the Bible says, your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I want to establish clear that no, I don't believe that through uh, the verse he's teaching us that our efforts have to be so highly charged and fueled with our own efforts of righteousness that we earn heaven. Make no mistake about it. I personally believe and the Bible teaches that there is no measure of righteous acts that any human being will ever do that will put us in even a viable position to remotely earn a home in heaven first Peter chapter 4 notice that with me if you will and 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 Peter begins to help us to really establish a true and focused understanding of what it is to have connection with God first Peter chapter 4 verse number 17 he says for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where then will the ungodly and sinner appear? Peter is telling us that, listen, even in our best efforts, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ atoning for us, if it wasn't for the grace that the Lord said was sufficient for us, if it wasn't for the fact that he was so merciful and so kind, even those who live a diligent life, when we stand before God, we wouldn't have a chance. So what he's not telling us here, he's not saying that our works should equal our righteous exchange for the merit in which we earn a home in heaven. Rather, he's telling us us that we ought to strive we ought to remain diligent we ought to remain committed we ought to work out our the, as the Bible tells us work out our salvation with fear and trembling I know that the work has nothing to do with us earning it because verse 12's work out meets verse 13 work in verse 12's work out meets verse 13's work in verse number 13 the Bible says for it is God who works in you 
both to will and to do his good pleasure. I want you to really appreciate this because we are really setting the stage for complaining here. Verse number 12, he says, therefore, and what is the therefore, therefore? Therefore is designed to connect the thought that Jesus to Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, who's never committed one sin in his life, became obedient to his father God, and he came down and he suffered in obedience all the way till death. And the Bible never records his complaint it never records his protest against God as a result he then tells us therefore in light of what he did we ought to work out we ought to obey we ought to be diligent we ought to strive to also do the will of God he then says the reason why you do that and how I know our earth, our efforts don't earn heaven he says we ought to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in. It is God who works in us. And when he talks about working in us, he's teaching us how the divine initiative calls for a human response. The divine initiative calls for a human response. Somebody may be saying, I thought we were talking about complaining. Stay with me. I'll be where you want me after a while. But the divine initiative calls for a human response. You see, um, Richard Malek, uh, uh, he's the author of the uh, New American Commentary. He says the divine initiative called for a human response. While he believed that ultimately all of salvation, considered in its broadest scope, depended on God's actions and power. That is, if you take God out of the picture, there is no, there is no accessibility of righteousness to be manifested in the world. God is even the reason why we know to do good. He's the reason why we know to love. He is the reason why we know to manifest goodness. He says, if you, if you took God out of the scope of it all, if you, if you removed God's actions and power, uh, he would never have tolerated passive Christianity. Human energy could never accomplish the work of God, yet God did not perform his purposes without it. That is, God is the reason why righteousness exists, but he utilizes mankind to bring righteousness into the world. So what is your point? My point is, is that when I consider this thing called uh, righteousness in my life, I understand it is the transformative, it is the transformative things that God has done in my life. It's the transformation that the Lord has caused in my life, that transformation that came by the Almighty God that has given me two things. One, God gave me the desire to do right things, and God has given me the ability to live a righteous life. If it it was not for God blessing me in such a way with his guiding Holy Spirit and his written word, righteousness would not even be accessible to me. This is important to know because appreciate what God is setting us up to see. Number one, the example has been set in that God has already lived a life that was guided by righteousness and he was righteous even until death. Second thing you've got to know, he's calling us to do our part because in our commitment to doing the right thing, that is the only way that we'll ever have a home in heaven. We'll connect with that in a moment. Stay with me. But the next thing I really want you to see is while God is the example and I've got to keep working, I understand that the work that I'm doing, I can't even take credit for it. I mean, I wouldn't even have a desire to be right if it wasn't for God. And I wouldn't have a desire to do right things if it wasn't for God. How do you know that? Well, we all remember before we gave our life to Christ. 
Every one of us remembers what life used to look like before we were buried in the watery grave of baptism to have our sins washed away, to be added to the church of Christ. We know what that feeling was like and we know full well, we know full well that during those moments of challenge and those moments of great adversity, there was not a portion of us that was striving to live obedient to God. And it wasn't until we started to recognize in our heart that God had made us for better, he had created us for better, better. We desired renewal. We desired transformation. We were willing to forsake our lives. We were coming out with our hands up. We were surrendering the existence of our lives. We no longer wanted control. We allowed the Lord to have full dominion, full authority over our lives. It was when this happened, then and only then, did we even get a right to talk about what it is to be righteous. That is what it is to be righteous in everything good and what it is to be righteous and everything bad. Oh, make no mistake about it. Doing the right thing doesn't always feel good. Sometimes doing the right things feels very challenging, even to the degree when we consider the, the, the call of Christ and how Christ in his life, he suffered in his obedience all the way to the cross. Well, how does that manifest itself in our understanding of Complaining. Well, well, listen to verse number 14. And this time, before I give you 14, I'm going to give you 12 and 13 in connection. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That therefore, as we already know, connects us with the example set by Christ who obeyed God even till death. Verse number 14, never forget, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. That is the only reason why I'm even able to work out is because God works in. I can't even take credit for what I'm doing. I'm called to live for God by the power given by God under directive of God. He then adds verse number 14. And when you're doing this stuff, listen very carefully, do all things without complaining and disputing. Oh, here it gets tough. Remember now, We've got to make sure the parameters are established because you can take this thing too far and you'll miss the point. I don't want you to see this verse as an indictment to complaining in and of itself because the Bible even records that there are some instances where someone has to speak in protest of a thing. Acts chapter 6, uh, the Bible records a very important instance of such an occasion. In Acts the 6th chapter, it is the earliest existence of the church and during the early existence of the church, the church depended greatly upon uh, the giving of the community of believers in support of those who were in need. Well, in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 1, the Bible says, now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, I want you to be clear, the complaint here is not the protest. As a matter of fact, the complaint raises the need for the leaders of the church to implement change. So, I want you to understand that there is a time when something is presenting itself as an injustice, when something seems to be unright about the world, it is incumbent upon those who have a commitment to Christ to say something about it. When communities are marginalized, 
marginalized, we ought to say something about it. When the poor are neglected, we ought to stand for them. When those who don't have a home, we ought to stand for them. In a world where it seems like people are treating common health care as a luxury, somebody ought to stand for those who don't have the things that they stand in need of. Not only that, if you'll also consider if you will, in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, around verse number 18, we'll see the reason why John the Baptist was incarcerated. Luke chapter 3, verse number 18, the Bible says, and with many words and with many other exhortations, he, being John the Baptist, preached to the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all that he shut John up in prison. Why, why was John incarcerated by Herod in the first place? John was incarcerated by Herod because John observed the governing official, the governing official who was operating in authority over him, and he observed that the behavior of those who were in charge were not in keeping with righteousness. As a result, he felt it necessary to stand against that, to protest against that, to complain about that, and that calls for John to be incarcerated. So I don't want you to miss it. There are times when the voice of opposition must be raised. And no, God has not called the people of God to go along just to get along. No, that's not what God is calling us to. So then if we see that there is a space and an occasion for complaining, and when is that? Well, we see clear as day that if you observe, if you observe marginalized people being neglected, you ought to say something. And if you observe those in leadership of you, certainly we want to do it with tact and we want to do it with a righteous manner of delivery but you ought to say something so then what is the meaning in Philippians chapter 2 when we encounter complaining well this is where it becomes wonderfully well he tells us in verse number 14 do all things what things the things that he told us to do well what did he tell us to do he says in verse number 12 as you have obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He then tells you, and when you do it, don't complain about it. Let's pause here for a moment because this is the place where the child of God needs to register. He says, do them without complaining or disputing. Complaining defined here is where we get the term grumbling or mumbling from. It's a complaint uttered in a low and indistinct tone. You'll remember when we were young and our parents would chastise us and, and we knew that uh, they were in authority, but in our heart of hearts, we were frustrated with the fact that we had to go to bed early or, or we couldn't have another cookie or we couldn't go outside to play. So we wouldn't verbally shout out our disputes. Otherwise, uh, you might catch it. Say amen if you can. So what we would do is under our breath, we might say, I can't stand this house. I'd be so glad when I get here. And you're not going to say that out loud, but under your breath, you're manifesting your displeasure with this authority figure that's operating in your life. He says, concerning what I called you to do in verse number 12, don't do that. Don't manifest anything about this righteous call that God has, has given us. Don't let any of your undertone be negative towards him. Not only that, he then says, don't do it. He says, I want you to keep complaining out of the window. And I also want you to keep disputing out of the window, disputing now. Now, this is what we did when we got a little older. When we started to get some teenageness about ourselves. We started to feel like we were coming into ourselves. Disputing is debate. 
It is defined as a discussion in which reasons are advanced for and against some proposition or proposal. You see, that's when we got a little older and we started to fill ourselves and we were told, no, you need to be in at 11 o'clock. But I don't understand why I've got to be in at 11 o'clock because so-and-so don't get to stay at 11 o'clock. What he's telling us is two things. Number one, in this call that God has given us to obey him, don't complain. Don't let any of your undertone be negative and don't for a moment get to a place where you start to brace yourself to start to contend with God concerning why you should or should not do what he's called you to do. Do Christians complain about their walk with Christ? Well, if I'm being all the way honest, certainly we do. And I mean we when I said it because I stand as guilty as all others. That there are times when God is calling me to do some things that in my heart I just don't want to do. We all know of times that God told us to forgive people. We just didn't want to forgive. God told us to do the right thing. We didn't really want to do the right thing. And we found within ourselves a heart that started to possess a negative energy manifested towards our creator in light of the goodness that he's called us to do. What he's challenging us to do is in this life that we live for God, we have to follow the example of Jesus in its entirety. Jesus came to the earth. He did the will of God and not one time did he give God any grief for it. There's a word there if you'll allow it, and that is, listen carefully, we, the people of God, cannot be anti-righteousness, even when righteousness feels like it's anti-us. Once again, we, the people of God, cannot be anti-righteousness, even when righteousness feels like it's anti-us. You know that feeling when you start to feel like a doormat. Or you start to feel like you're being taken advantage of or you start to feel depleted or you start to feel discouraged or, or you start to feel like uh, everybody else is getting this and I'm not getting this or everybody else is getting a blessing and I'm not getting a blessing. And God, don't you see how hard I'm working and how hard I'm striving? We cannot allow the experiences that we're having in the world to cause us to look at God with a negative eye. Why is that? Consider what he says in verse number 15. Verse number 15, the Bible says uh, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, if the people of God won't triumphantly advance the agenda of God, then how will the world ever see the calling to follow God as anything other than negative? You see, if the people of God won't herald the cause of God in such a righteous way, then there is no way in the world that we can expect those who don't have a relationship with God to ever desire to follow God. You got to keep in mind another point that he advances. Listen very carefully in verses 16. Verse number 16 says, holding fast the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You see, his point is, is that, listen, we know full well that we're not going to be here always and we want to strive our very best to live a life that Christ lived. Second Timothy chapter 4 is a passage that I love uh, diligently. Paul paints an awesome picture concerning his commitment to God and his desire to live a life that's pleasing and acceptable to God. In Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 6 he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. 
Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The key I want you to get is verse number seven. He says, I fought the good fight. That is when opposition was against me, I kept my head down and I kept serving the Lord and I kept working for the Lord and the people of God. We have to understand that our challenge in following God demands that we know without any reservations in our heart that God is good all the time and all the time. God is better than good. That is God is good when it feels good and God is good when it doesn't feel good. And God's way is righteous when we feel like we're on the end of a host of blessings and God's way is righteous even when we feel like we're on the end of a host of burdens he concludes by giving us these thoughts in verses 17 and 18 yes and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me Paul says, if for some reason this calling causes me to fall in the same space as Christ, that is in my commitment to do right, I suffer harm. Well, I'm thankful for it because it puts me into a place where I deeply appreciate the sacrifice of our heavenly father. That prayer in Gethsemane was the arresting of that humanity of him and the, the magnifying of the divinity in him. He says, if it is your will, let it pass from me. But Lord, if this is the only way it will be done, I'll do it and I won't complain about it. People of God, how is our hearts concerning the will of God? You mean to tell me God wants us to only have sex when we get married? You mean to tell me that I'm supposed to forgive a person that calls me out of my name or talks about my mother? You, you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to give back to the Lord uh, for my money uh, when, 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 when I'm already struggling to make ends meet as it is? There are so many instances where we find ourselves wrestling with the will of God. And God says, if you're going to follow him, you've got to stop that. Either we are with him completely or we're missing the point. God wants our complete and full devotion. Let us pray. Almost righteous heavenly father, Lord, today we, we face complaining with the father. And Lord, we understand that, yes, there are there is a space and a place where complaining is necessary. We we want to be advocates for those who are suffering in, in communities where they are marginalized. And, and we want to speak against powers that may not stand in agreement with what would be uh, your will and pleasure for the way we ought to live our lives. But there is one place where we know there is no space and place for complaining. And that is at no point should we ever find ourselves complaining with you. You've been too good to us. You've been wonderful towards us. You've been a blessing to us. And Lord, the service that you're calling for us to manifest in our lives towards you, Lord, we should never, ever view it as a burden, but we should always review it, view it rather, Lord, as the delight that we manifest in serving you. Lord, you know, we don't even have to tell you that there are days where in the service of you, Lord, we come through adversity challenges highs and lows dear lord help us not to be fair weather believers dear lord give us a commitment to know that we are with you on the good days and the bad days on the highs and the lows lord you've been better than good teach us to be good to you in return lord we surrender any sinful complaining that we've laid at your throne for our calling to do such a small part in this life 
For dear Lord, if we ever complain about anything, help us to understand that it is impossible in good spirits to complain about any part of the Christian life when we stand holding our complaint in the shadow of a bloodstained cross. These and all prayers we ask in your son Jesus' name we pray. Let us all say amen. Well, that'll just about do it for today. We always thank you for stopping in and connecting with us in this mode of study on Wednesdays. A couple of things we want you to keep your eyes peeled for. First and foremost, keep your eyes peeled for uh, our devotion in connection with Face It With The Father entitled The Mirror. It's where we take every segment of Face It With The Father and we put it towards a prayer and devotional that we hope would refocus your minds to a greater way in your life live toward Christ. Also on Thursday, connect with us on Facebook Live. We will begin this week a four-part series entitled Keep Your Head Up where we'll begin to face just our mental challenges as we walk with God. Last but not least, ensure to connect with us on Sunday. Sunday at 10 a.m. We will kick things off with our morning worship experience virtually. And if you're interested, you can join us at nine o'clock for our love in the lobby. You can sign up at uh, the Pembroke Park website. The website is located uh, uh, on the links in this page. It is always a pleasure to connect with you. I am Minister Kevin D. Jones, Sr. And on behalf of my brother, Larry Bernard, Jr., it is a pleasure to connect with you all in our mode of study. Whatever you go through in life, ensure that you face all things with the Father. Take care. Be blessed.